May my words and your thoughts be acceptable to God, who is our strength and salvation. Amen. Well, last week we focused on a little phrase written by St. Paul. I suppose that if I was to ask someone what it was, you'd probably think that I'd forgotten myself. So I won't do that. I'll just repeat it, that night and day we pray. Now, of course, if we're having a uh, conversation with someone regularly, we do notice quite soon the different moods of the other person. We learn to judge when uh, or when not to raise particular issues. So the question arises, in our prayer conversation, how do we judge the mood of God? So to help us think this through, I've picked out another phrase from St. Paul. Not as many words as last week, so perhaps this will be easier for you. I don't know. We'll just have to see. The words are sharing in the gospel. Sharing in the gospel. Well, our thinking can begin with Malachi. He seems to portray a very angry God. In this mood, God doesn't have a good word to say. In particular, the, the descendants of Levi, that, that is, the priests, are picked out for particular mention. Malachi was not impressed by what had been achieved by the priests as they'd returned to Jerusalem from Babylon, or rather, what had not been achieved. All sorts of social ills had been allowed to develop and go unchecked. Sorcery, lack of faithfulness, lack of integrity, oppression of workers, lack of provision for widows and orphans. Some folks treated as second-class citizens and a general lack of godliness. It's a litany of failure in both religious and political terms. And Malachi shared with God the anger at the lost opportunities. His God was jolly well going to put things right. Revolution was in the air. Malachi visions a messenger sent by God who'll sort things out, oversee a return to the good old days, the former times when things were done right by God. And such an action would put God in a good mood. 
Well, the irony is that um, as Christians, we've learned to completely misread Malachi's rantings, preferring instead to focus on that little phrase about the coming messenger who will prepare the way of Christ and will change the mood of God. And for this alteration to the role of that messenger, we can blame fairly and squarely on St. Luke. For it's in his gospel that the refocus of Malachi's direction of travel in the mood of God comes from. And for him to achieve this, in his first chapter, there's a long story about a priest called Zechariah. Now, by contrast with the priests of Malachi's day, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were good people. Both had impeccable credentials. He was a son of Levi, and she could trace her family back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Can't get better than that. And as with Mary and Joseph later on, Elizabeth and Zechariah have a child in unusual and miraculous circumstances. In fact, Elizabeth and Mary are pregnant at the same time and even meet up. By all accounts, as he grew up, John the Baptist was a difficult character to deal with. He insisted on dressing differently. He was uncompromising in his views. And he lived in the wilderness, away from his family. This was similar in some ways to that great painter, Vincent van Gogh. He was a rather difficult character too, as I discovered when I visited the museum at uh, Nuenen last Tuesday, in the rain. I thought England was bad when it came to rain. But uh, in the gospel reading today, we heard the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth responding to God's call in the wilderness by proclaiming a forceful message of repentance for sin. The message is delivered in terms of a quote from another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah. John the Baptist is still presenting a version of the angry mood of God. Yes, God has been angry, but maybe he's softening his stance a little. And it will help if only people will respond to God in the right way. Well, from this curious beginning, as the gospel story moves on, St. Luke slowly reveals a transition in the mood of God. And this transition is hinted at in the words of the Benedictus, which is a song composed by Zechariah to celebrate the birth of his son. I wonder if any of you composed a poem for the birth of uh, one of yours, you know keep waving it at them and saying, this is what I thought at the time. Hmm, don't know. Well, Zechariah did that. 
And we recited it just now. Oh, we did half each. Yeah, but it's, it went well. So there it is. In the Benedictus, there were some very pregnant phrases. He's raised up a mighty saviour. There's also much talk of looking back to the promises of the Old Testament and much looking forward to people being rescued, forgiven. A new life of light and peace. The mood of God is changing. However, the story is looking a bit messy. Reading the first chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, if you did that, you could be forgiven for expecting that the story of the Messiah was going to be all about John the Baptist. Well, it's against this uncertain background that John the Baptist gets the Gospel story underway with immense energy and imagination. So by the time that St. Paul is writing his letter to the church at uh, Philippi, a lot of water had passed under the Gospel bridge. The mood of God has changed beyond all recognition to that of Malachi or of Zechariah, even of John the Baptist. St. Paul displays no fear of God's propensity to lose his rag at every mistake we manage to make. There's no call to repent for those things that have made God angry, vindictive, judgmental. The mood music has changed completely. The message is now one of gratitude to God. God who's provided a bountiful share for everyone in the benefits of the gospel and sees each one of us as sharing in the gospel. So we're entitled to ask what happened. Well, if, of course, instead of jumping around all over the Bible this morning for snippets to read, in order to provide ourselves with a theme, if we'd stayed with St. Luke, then we could have learned something significant about how the Gospel story developed. Firstly, Jesus Christ appeared on the scene, having had a similar start in life to that of John. Jesus is also in the wilderness, the wilderness is becoming a bit of a crowded place. Some people are following John, others are following Jesus. There's even a suggestion that Jesus might once have been a disciple of John. The story's in danger of getting confused. At one point, John even sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the Messiah? Or is there someone else coming? Obviously, obviously some clarity was urgently needed unless the gospel message was to get lost almost before it had started. And the correction begins as Jesus asks John for baptism. And this happens. 
but only after a detailed conversation aimed at both sets of disciples. Anyway, the confusion seems to come to an end when Herod steps in and has John the Baptist beheaded. Naturally, Jesus is badly affected by this event. He pays a glowing tribute to John's life and work. But John's story doesn't end there. St. Luke still has some tidying up to do to complete the unification of the two strands. And so buried deep into St. Luke's second volume of his gospel, the book of Acts, there is a surprising little story. Chapter 18 sets out the story of Apollos, a traveler who joined the church at Philippi. Oh no, he didn't. He joined at Ephesus. Well, one or the other. But he joined. He came from a religious community that had never heard of Jesus. Now think of that. They knew only the baptism of John. It's quite remarkable. Of course, we have to remember that those were in the days before the invention of the internet. And today, of course, everyone knows almost everything before it even happened. Back then, news travelled slowly. And St. Luke goes on to tell us that when Priscilla and Aquila met Apollos, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Good job they did, because when Apollos moved away to a nearby town, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And on his arrival, Apollos greatly helped those who'd become believers, showing that the Messiah is Jesus. It's a good example to us all. But now the reconciliation of the two strands in Luke's story is complete. John the Baptist's followers are now Jesus' followers. The confusion resolved. Now the mood music is being played off the same song sheet. Paul writes to show that you and me are the people who've begun to share in the gospel with God. So the question arises, what mood music do those people you know hear when you share the gospel with them? Do they pick up a message that God is angry with them? Does your approach lead them to think, well, I don't stand a chance in God's kingdom? After an encounter with you at home or in the workplace, are they left feeling that compared with you, they're second class? Not up to any good. Downright shameful. I once saw a poster of a young lady dressed for going out 
for the nightclub. Obviously pre-COVID. A glass of wine in one hand, a cigarette in the other, head thrown back, long blonde hair blowing in the wind, and the caption read, I don't want to go to heaven. None of my friends will be there. I think perhaps she picked up the wrong message about the mood of God. Alternatively, maybe the people around you are just confused. They know all about you, of course. They know you attend Trinity Church. And even if they didn't know, well, you know, there is something different about all of you. But as they look on, are they able to make you out? Some of the things you do or say may leave them wondering what's going on. And who is this Jesus anyway? The guy's dead, isn't he? How does that work? Perhaps they're confused about the mood message of God that we project. So what is God's mood? St. Paul captures it completely for us. You and I are sharing in the gospel with God. Night and day we pray for each other, but we have only just begun. God has made a start in changing the mood music with which we can convey to others the clear benefits of life after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul says there's still some way to go before we're singing from the same song sheet in harmony. But he's confident that God will bring our transformation in mood to completion by the day of Christ. The day of Christ for which we live in expectation. The day of Christ when we share with others the saving gospel of God's love for them. So today, the mood of God is definitely different. No longer the vindictive God calling out in the wilderness for people to get their act together. Now God's mood is to share with people. People who may not be perfect, may not always be trusted, may actually get things wrong most of the time. God's mood is to share with these people. People are willing to give life a go. We're struggling to make sense of the life they were given. And we're never actually asked if they wanted to be part of it. People struggling to come to terms with a limited lifespan. Here is a God who having lived among us and died a criminal's death and who raised Jesus to new life is willing to share his love with the loveless and with the failures. 
And God has begun with us. And he's in the mood to welcome the people amongst whom we live and work. Whatever baggage they carry, whatever failure they feel, whatever limitations life has forced upon them. And without the need for them to be like us. Sharing in the gospel of God's love is a challenge for us, but it's a relief for the people around us. God is in the mood to love the people around us, and he wants them to have a gospel experience. He wants us to produce a harvest of righteousness through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. We're in party mood now. We must make sure, like that lady in the poster, make sure that when she gets to heaven, she'll find some friends there on the day of Christ. Let us be inspired to share in the gospel with God.